someone else in our body because you have chosen to give them a gift that we deem less honorable. Father, I pray that this morning we would be unified by your Spirit, that your Spirit would open our eyes. Father, I pray you would give me wisdom, clarity, and Lord, that I would do so with a love and a delight in you. Lord, this is for your name and your glory, not mine, and I pray that you would speak to your people this morning. Cultivate in our hearts a love for you that draws us to one another. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know it's been a while since we talked about convoys and submarines and battleships, so you probably forgot, but... Just thinking about that analogy and that illustration this morning, a battleship, if one member decides that they're going to go off and do their own thing, can be sunk. What if the radar tech decides, you know what, I'm just going to give whatever feels good to the captain as information. What if I just tell the captain, oh yeah, there, yeah, over there, a mile that way, there's a submarine. But the radar tech is not certain. Why? Because the radar tech is upset that he's not the captain. He wants to be the captain, but the problem is he's trained for years to be a great radar tech. Or what if the captain decides, you know what, I'm tired of being captain. I'm tired of people asking me to do everything. And he says, I'd rather be the radar tech. And the radar tech oh great, let's switch places. How long before that boat is sunk? Because each has their role, each has their place. And that's the same in the church. We can't sit around and say, well, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being the big toe. Every time something wrong happens, I get stubbed. Or, I'm tired of being the thumb that always gets hit every time a ball comes at me. Or whatever it may be. I'm tired of being this or that. And as Paul is moving on, he's, he hasn't left spiritual gifts, okay? Because here in verse 12 he says, for. He's, he's going to explain why it is so important that we remember that God has given the gifts to the church for the common good. And why He has done so according to His will. That's why he says, for. So he says, for, even as the body is one. So we see unity here. The body is unified. So even as we see the body is one, and yet has many members. It's diverse. It's not one in the sense of no diversity. It is a diversity of people, members put together. 
You could really just take this phrase right here and that it would be all the sermon. Because this is the point Paul is making. If, if you were reading a research paper, this would be the thesis that Paul is making in this section. Paul wants us to realize that not only is the church one, but they are a diversity working together. This word members is, has multiple meanings, but it's actually the root for the word melody. And those of you that know melody, I'm not a musician, but I remember when I was taking piano in, in college with a friend of mine, which unfortunately I was really good at playing chords, but the melody was really tough. <laughs> A good, a good melody player can be pretty incredible. He would sit down and he would show me the chords and then afterwards he's like, okay, I'm going to show you how to play the melody. And he was a classically trained and he actually is now a composer in Korea. And just the most beautiful version of As a Deer Panteth for the Water Brooks I'd ever heard. I was like, why can't I do that? <laughs> But he took parts and put them together. And the melody is broken down into notes and sounds that are all ordered with a purpose of sounding a certain way to be beautiful. And yes, the chords are great, especially when we're singing. But without a melody, no one's going to be hiring you to be a classical pianist. Because the melody is where the beauty lies. And I think... It's no surprise that this word members, which comes from the idea of limbs or parts of the body, is used here. Because we are many members. So the body is one. The body has many members. And he says, and all the members of the body, though, he put, he kind of, kind of puts this in parentheses like, okay, just in case you're going to make a mistake, it says, though they are many, are one body. Paul is not letting us get away from unity. I say, well, we need to be diverse. We need to be all over the place. No, we are working together. We are the church of Christ. Just because we are many does not mean that we're not one body. I think often churches either fall into one gutter or the other. We either fall into the trap of thinking we're a unified body, so that means uniformity. We all need to be exactly the same. Okay, everybody, you need to wear, all the men need to wear black suit coats and black hats. Does that sound like a, a group we know of? Amish, right? They, they believe in uniformity. That's what unity looks like to them. But no, that, that's not what God is saying here. He's not saying you need to all dress alike, act alike, and look alike. 
So we have to stay out of that side. And then on the other side, we can be so much about diversity that we're welcoming in the devil. We're welcoming him in sin. We're saying, well, they're, they're just being them. How many churches have you heard say things like that? You know, whatever you think, that's, that's what matters. That's what our world is cramming down your throat unless you disagree with them. And then they want uniformity, right? So we must be careful as a church that we embrace the fact we are one body, but we are many members and we each have a role that God has ordained from the beginning of earth, from the beginning of time. He saw into the future, He knew that you would exist, that I would exist. And He knew and gave His Spirit to bring us in to His church. And He's gifting each of us to be a part of this church. And when one member decides that they want to take a vacation, it's kind of like when you wake up and your leg's asleep. Like, I cannot get it to move. What's going on? I can't feel my, my toes. Your toes are tired of working, so they're decided to take a nap. But in the church, it's similar. When, when one member decides, you know what? I'm not getting anything out of this. I, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going I'm to get away from this problem because it's too hard. It affects the whole body. Paul takes this analogy of the body, and it, I, I can't think of a better illustration. I don't need to go find other illustrations out in the world because this is one of the best illustrations of the church that you will find in our world. Because we all know how our body works. And when diseases come in, they affect certain parts of the body, and that affects your whole body. If your brain decides, you know what, I'm going to stop sending signals to this part of your body, you're going to know it. If your heart starts to struggle, your whole body is affected. You stub your toe, your whole body feels it. If you, as I did, burn your hand, your whole body feels it. It's not like you can just chop your hand off and then know what, you're not going to feel anything. No. God has made our physical body so that everything going through it must work together. So, we are a body that is one, has many members. And though we have many members, we are one body. And why, why is that so important? He says, so also is Christ. I know you thought he was going to say church there. So also is the church. But he's referring to Christ. What is, what is the body of, what are we? The body of Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, 
I have brought you together. You're one body, and you're the body of Christ. You are to be one. You're different. You each have a different function. Somebody might be a femur here. Somebody might be, you know, whatever it may be. A hip. Some ab muscles. I don't know. Triceps. Biceps. Whatever... Whatever your bones are, I'm not a, uh, a, a, a uh, expert on anatomy, so, but um, we need every part. I've, I've heard of veterans who, when they get a leg or get an amputee, that they'll feel parts of their body that have been cut off. They'll get an itch in their foot that they don't have anymore. Because those nerve endings are still sending signals. I guess the foot from the grave is uh, wirelessly uh, transmitting. um, (laughs) No. But you know what I'm saying? Your body misses those parts. Thankfully, I've never cut a finger off. But I've heard that when that happens, you can feel things or you can't depending but it's just it your body knows something changed something (laughs) something happened and i'm not okay with it that's why i think as a church when disruption comes and division in the church happens and and eventually a split happens that's why it hurts so much because you feel like, wait, where did half, huh, I feel like I got amputated from the waist down. Where, where's, where did my legs and feet go? Or vice versa, where did the head and arms go? Where's my torso at? But we are one in Christ, but many. Paul explains now how this happens in verse 13. He says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. This verse has a lot of controversy. Because, depending on where you fall on when the Spirit is given. And this is one of, the, one of the passages that have convinced me that there is a sense in which the Spirit is given at the new birth. I don't believe that what we have experienced with that is um, evidence in speaking in tongues is what Paul's talking about here. But you either, in Scripture, I feel like you either have to believe that only Spirit-filled, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, is, are Christians, or you have to say, you know what, there is a sense in which the Spirit is given at the new birth, but the fullness of the Spirit is not given until we ask and receive with the evidence of tongues. Because we talked about this when we were in Romans 8. 
Uh, if you read Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about the Spirit being the seal of God. And then here we see that we are baptized into one body, that we are brought into the body and we drink of the one Spirit. And, and though I, I would like to, to take the view of some uh, charismatic teachers, they're, they're taking the Greek and throwing it out the window. They're like, well, I think he meant this, but he, he just put the, this one word there. I think when he said it with this word, it's, it just doesn't make sense. And, and I didn't go to a, a non-charismatic to, to translate this verse. I just used what I learned in school. And, and when you read it, 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 there's nothing you can do. It, doesn't, it defies all grammar rules to use the argument that some people want to use. Because some will say, well, you know, um, he's talking about later on. Now, this is what I will say. Paul is talking to a church that is filled with the Spirit. Why? Because in their day, they were receiving the Spirit almost immediately. Why? Because they were taught that. That's why I think here, Paul is taking it for granted that the believers in Corinth received the baptism, the filling of the Spirit, at, the same, at nearly the same time that they became saved. Just like you see in the book of Acts. I hope that I'm being clear. I'm not saying, I don't think they're simultaneous. But I do believe that a, a portion of the Spirit is given at the new birth. But the fullness is, is a subsequent experience. And I believe we continually need to seek God to fill us with the Spirit because... Even the apostles, not long after the day of Pentecost, prayed for courage, and it says they were filled afresh. So I think there's a couple things going on here in verse 13, but what we can see is in Corinth, they were being they were born again, and they were at the same time they were hearing the gospel, they were hearing about being filled with the Spirit. So they're, they're receiving both almost at the same time. So Paul is taking that for granted. Which today, unfortunately, we can't take for granted because many people are opposed to this, like I mentioned John MacArthur. Like I said, I, I don't disagree with everything he says. He actually has some really good things to say. But when it comes to this, he's, he's not right. I believe he's wrong. I believe some of the things he said are actually damaging, not only to the church, but I pray for him that he's not uh, opposing the work of the Lord, to be honest. So, in the middle here, we have something that would cure every single problem that we have today. You want to cure racism? You want to cure everything 
that our world is trying to fix in their own way? Get Jesus, because he says, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. We are one. Why? Because Jesus came. The gospel is the only way you will experience reconciliation with anyone. Period. You want to have reconciliation with uh, an estranged loved one? Jesus is the only way. You can't go to enough counseling sessions. You can't fix it by psychology. You can't fix it by making them pay reparations. This is why I'm sick and tired of hearing people in the church. And sorry I'm getting excited about this. I was thinking about this topic a lot because of what's going on in our world. But I'm tired of seeing people in the church capitulating to the world around us and saying, well, we don't need to live that way. We, we need to fix it by putting down other people. We need to make sure that those who are oppressors are brought down. So the oppressors need to give all their things to the slaves or the, the weak. This is what a thing called critical race theory is all about. I don't know if you've heard about it, but that's what the basis of what we're seeing going on in our society is all about right now. The basis is, okay, we need to bring these oppressed peoples, starting with the darker color of your skin, the more oppressed you are. We need to bring those people up by putting down anyone above them. So, the darker your skin, if you're an African American, then you're far more oppressed than a Latina or Latino. And then the Asian American is just above them, and then the white ones, oh my, they are all racist. No one else, no one below the white person is racist, which is absolute ridiculousness. I lived in Guatemala, and I saw racism there. Among Latinos, if you were from the villages, there were people in the city who said, oh, those indigenous people, or those trash collectors, or those, I mean, even in Guatemala, you rarely ever saw a black person. But when you did, there was only one area where there was really a, a lot of them, and they were from the Caribbean, near Belize, and most of the time, they talked about them with many stereotypes. I'm telling you, racism is not a one race looking upon another. It is all men. We want to treat others with disregard because we want them to be less than us. The only way that we destroy the devil's ability to attack the church and to attack individuals is the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel will bring men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue together. And it destroys those distinctions. Not in the sense that we 
okay, you're no longer Latino or no. It destroys the separation that is caused by those distinctions. It brings a unity that no one in the world can describe. This was a mark of the early church. There are multiple letters from leaders in the Roman world, non-Christians, talking about how the Christians were the most diverse group of people. This was a part of... That's why if you became a Christian, it was kind of like... Especially if you were wealthy. Why would you associate with those slaves and whatever? Why would you hang out with those Jews or those Greeks or blah, blah, blah? Because we have a Savior and we've been made one. Christ didn't die for His church to be segregated by color or social status or whatever. He called us to be one in Christ. Distinct? Yes. But not to the point of, well, we have this ministry just to Latinos and just to African Americans and just to blah, blah, blah. And we're going to make sure that our church is inviting and, and seeking to bring about reparations for any particular group of people. As long as I'm here, the gospel will be preached. And nothing will be added to it. I will not allow the world to define what is true. God's word is true. There is no difference when we become Christians. Again, we're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity in Christ. I would not have chosen some of you to be a part of this church. And I'm not looking at any of you specifically because of this. But God did. And God had a reason. So off that, that wasn't really a part of the sermon, but I couldn't just read past this verse and not make a comment because I feel like our world is being turned upside down. Because just because I'm white, according to these protest movements, I'm racist inherently. Just be, only because of the color of my skin. It has nothing, nothing to do about who I am other than something I can't control. I am automatically racist. Yes, we are all biased, actually. We all have biases that we have to deal with as Christians. We have to take to the cross and let Christ cleanse. Some people don't. And that's where you get white supremacists or black power, you know, like the Black Panthers. People who want only to bring about division. And that's what's happening. We all know, the, what's the slogan of Kentucky? You remember what it is? United we stand, divided we fall. If more people read that before they got on Facebook, do you think we would have so much division 
We have slogans like that, yet our nation is more divided today than even five years ago. And and churches are worse. Ever since the protests happened, I'm hearing of churches that are just in uproar because so many people are believing everything they're being fed as though it's gospel truth. Again, this was not my message, so we'll move on. (laughs) But the point is, we are one in Christ, we are many. So Paul is going to give us an example. He's going, to, he's going to take this analogy and go down to the level of our understanding. He says in verse 14, For the body is not one member, but many. So his first point here in verse 14 is to point out that the body is one, but many members. So right now, Paul is focusing on the diversity of the church. The differences in the church, of functions in the gifts especially. He hasn't left gifts. He's talking about us elevating or devaluing certain gifts of the Spirit and members of the body. So he says, verse 15, if the foot says, well the foot doesn't have a mouth, but if it could say, (laughs) if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Mommy, if I can't play with that, I can't play with anything. Have you ever heard that one before? These are the weaker people in the body. They're whining. They're saying, well, if I can't be blah, 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 then I don't want anything to do with it. We, those of us who at times have felt like we're a second-class citizen of the church because the gifts that God has given us are seemingly minuscule in comparison to the others. We feel like we're the foot instead of the hand. Well, at least the hand gets up high. Well, depending on what hand you are in India, you might complain. The left hand might say to the right, uh... Since I'm not the right hand, I don't want to be a hand in India because they don't use toilet paper. That's why you don't shake the wrong hand in India. So, I know it's not a very clean analogy, but I want us to see it's easy for us to think, well, I'm the, I'm the, the weak vessel of the church. I'm a weak member. And because I'm not the hand, I'm just going to throw a hissy fit and decide I'm not a part of the body. And what does Paul say for that? Essentially, I'm going to translate it now into common. That's ridiculous. That's what he's saying. He says, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Just because the foot says to the hand, I'm not a part, I'm not the hand, so I'm not a part of the body, that doesn't that argument doesn't fly. If your foot this morning uh, decided, since I'm not the hand, I'm not a part of the body, how's the foot going to get away? Is it, is it going to go get a knife and cut itself off? No. 
Paul's saying that's ridiculous. Just because you're not what you want to be does not mean that you're not a part of the body. And this is one of the reasons why I hate division in the church, and I believe that God does too. Because division is saying, well, since I'm not this, I'm going to be out of I'm out of there. It's different if you leave a church because there's doctrinal issues or whatever it may be. But you better, you better be sure that it's God cutting you off that body than you. Verse 17, he's not done. Or sorry, verse 16. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not part of the body. I want to be an eye. I've always wanted to be an eye. Maybe you are just seeking to be... Well, I don't think anyone in here wants to be a pastor, so uh, we don't have to <laughs> worry about that one. But you you want that notoriety. I, I want that gift that makes everyone be like, whoa, you're the it. No, God doesn't choose people and give them gifts so that they can make a name for themselves. It's about Him. It's for the common good, the good of the church. I mean, just look at Gideon. He was so afraid. He was so afraid even to the point that the night that they attacked the Midianites, God said to him, go down and defeat the camp. But if you're still afraid, go down with your servant, which is funny. He sent the servant with him because Gideon was so afraid. God knew that Gideon would need to take a servant so he wouldn't be afraid. He said, go down with your servant and I will show you. And so God had to use the dream of the enemy to encourage Gideon's faith so that they could have the victory. God knew there was victory. He told him that, but he also knew that Gideon was afraid. God had already whittled his army down to 300 men. Why? It says in those passages that so that Israel would not say, oh, look, our strength won the victory. God wanted to make it absolutely clear by the person he chose to lead and by the number of men he chose to go with him that God was the victor. And that is the purpose of the church. God does not choose you to be a hand, a foot, an eye, a head, or whatever part of the body so that you will get notoriety. He often chooses who you don't think to be the person to be that which you wished to be. If you're in a position where God is using you in the church, don't take it for granted. And don't flaunt it over one another. Because you're not there because... You're something great. You're there because God has chosen to use you. The only reason I'm standing here is it's not because I'm perfect. 
Just ask my kids. Ask Megan. My parents. You probably already know. I make mistakes. I sin. I have to come before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. I'm here because God has me here at this point. And I will, by the best that God has given, be the best that He has given me to be. I still fell even at that. But God is faithful. Verse 17. He, he again, he's asking rhetorical questions. Right? He says, if, or he moves to that, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? He's, he's not expecting an answer because his point is, duh, we need them both. Just because you can see doesn't mean you can hear. Ask a deaf person, would you like to hear? They would say, absolutely, I would like to hear. Ask a blind person, do you like to hear? Would you like to see? They may be able to hear, but man, they just can imagine what color looks like. What something looks like. They have to rely on descriptions. Ask somebody that has only the function of one hand. Would you like to have both used? Hand of both used? Or ask an amputee, would you like to have your foot and leg back or whatever? Yes. Ask Joel, would you like to have your pinky back? Yeah. You don't realize how much you need your pinky till it's gone. I don't know that personally. Thank the Lord. Uh, I don't hang around the steels for a reason. Too often. Uh, <laughs> no, but I try to stay away from heavy machinery. Um, but when you don't have something that you're used to having, it affects you. And you... Every time that you can't do something because you don't have that part or thing, it is difficult. And you remember, man, wish I had that pinky right now. Or I wish I had my big toe. I've heard about that. People having to amputate their big toe and they didn't realize how much they used it to move forward in walking and for stability. I'm like, man, it's crazy how... God created the body, the physical body, in such a way that we need everything that is in it. I don't know why we need the appendix, but I'm sure it's there for a reason. God didn't make a mistake. Oh, I'm just going to throw something in there, you know, fill that space up. No, there's a reason we have an appendix. I don't know why it is that you can just cut it out and it's okay. But I'm sure God has a reason. If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Tell you what, nothing tastes as good when you can't smell. Have you ever been sick and you can't smell? You're like, man, this food tastes bland. 
or when your taste buds aren't working because of some ailment and you're like, I used to love this food, but I can't taste anything. I've heard with COVID, some people have lost their taste of smell for extended periods of time, and some people, I mean, haven't even gotten it back yet. I can't imagine. I mean, I love to eat good food because I like the flavor of the food. I I don't just like to eat food because I've got to eat. No, I like the flavor of food. And so if, if I didn't have my taste sense of taste, I would be like, oh, I have to eat again? I guess it would be good for my diet, but um, anyways. But Paul's point is, we can't all be one thing. We can't be. Can you imagine a big eyeball walking around masquerading as a body? Guess what? There are Christians doing that today. They're Christians who are not a part of a body. And I, I don't mean this to be mean, but we need to be in a local assembly of God because we need one another. It's not enough to watch online. I, I'm thankful we have people who are watching this morning. It's not enough. We need to be together. We need to be physically together. And that is why I am totally opposed to us just doing a, a virtual service. I've, I've gotten more and more strongly convicted about this, that a virtual, you know, with YouTube only, is not, that's not a church service. Um, and that's why I, when we had the snowstorm, I told Dad, I said, I, I don't think we should do, if we're not, if we can't get in the building because it's too icy, we shouldn't have a service because we're, we're, Sending the wrong signal. We're saying, well, that's just as good as being in person. It's not. It's not meant to be. And God has never intended that to be. So we don't need big ears, big eyes walking around. We need a whole body working together, functioning together. Yeah, there are people out there who have physically been able to overcome crazy circumstances. I mean, Nick, I can't remember how to it's Vujicic or... I mean, he has no limbs, yet he's a father and has accomplished a lot in his life. He didn't give up. But if you asked him, hey, if you could have all your limbs, do you think you'd say, no, I, I don't need them. No, he wouldn't. He'd say, I would trade everything but my wife and my kids for those things. I would give you everything that I have of physical value to have my limbs back. Why? Because he realizes there are things in this life that he cannot enjoy because of the lack of a full body. And guess what? A church that is lacking in members who are faithfully fulfilling their role, is a church that will never experience the full measure of what God has for it. That is why I am encouraging you today, seek the Lord. God, what is my role? What is, what is the gift 
that you are seeking to use in me. Maybe it's prophecy. We need it. Maybe it's um, tongues with interpretation. We need it. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's miracles. Maybe it's a word of knowledge. A word of wisdom. Distinguishing of spirits. We need all of them. We don't, we don't need just one big eye walking around. We need Jesus in the flesh. Guess what? Jesus was doing all these things. We're His body on earth. We're His representative as a church. Not individually only. As a church. This goes so against the American understanding of the church. Our individualism is so strong as a church, we need to take a lesson from Latinos. This is one thing that I felt like I learned in Guatemala, though I don't agree with some things that are going on there. They realize the value of community. But they can go too far. Everyone knows everything. They, they value community so much that they need to know everything going on. So you can take it to the extremes. But as a church, we have to get the individualistic Christian, American Christian ideal out. We need to say, God, I'm a part of your body. And so my function as this body is directly affecting every person in this church, even those who are your spouses, your children, your grandchildren, maybe your great-grandchildren. We don't just need parts. We need the whole. Because we will experience the true church in that way. Christ died for this kind of a church. He died so that a church would function this way. He didn't die so that we could go limp around with prosthetics on. Well, let's, let's fix on a, a prosthetic leg. It'll be almost as good as you know the real thing. No? It, yeah, I... I'm thankful there's such thing as prosthetics to help people who are physically amputated, but in the church we should not have this problem. You can't create enough programs to fix a missing leg. You can't create enough um, initiatives and goals to fix missing members. I'm not talking about physical members. I'm talking about spiritual Gifts in the body. I think that's why our church, since before all that happened, since before Mr. Hamilton passed away, I think a lot of our issues boil down to this. We weren't all functioning. We were just sitting in the pews, soaking things in, and, and we weren't functioning as a body. I know I'm not trying to be critical. I know I'm just a young person, but I just see that. I, I really do think there was a, an issue of a lack of function in the gifts, and that was because we did not see how important each one of us was. Yes, we're different, and we 
like to elevate certain gifts to such a level. But we should be happy that the Spirit wants to move through us. Why do you think it hurt when Mr. Murphy passed away? He was one who was functioning in the gifts, remember? The body suffers when we decide that our pride or our fear is more important than the whole that God has called us to. So you want to complain about your portion of the Holy Spirit and how God is going to move in your gifts? Well, this is a condemnation. Not condemnation. This should bring conviction. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as He desired. You want to complain about being a hand or a foot or an eye or ear or whatever part of the body God has called you to be? Sorry, it wasn't my decision that you had that. It was God's. Do you have a problem with God's plan? Well, you should go ask uh, those guys. Remember they, they came against... Moses and Aaron. Remember when Miriam and Aaron tried to kind of take control? What happened? Or whole families destroyed because they were rebelling against God's desired. This word desire is the same it's the same word translated will. It was God's will that you, every one of you, me, are in the place that we are in this body and particularly the member that he has accorded to us. And that's why we should be seeking, Lord, I want to be a healthy member. I want to be a healthy body part that is actively encouraging the movement of our body and the move of the Spirit and that Christ's glory would be emanating from this church that when people see us out in the community, they'd be like, you're a part of SCA because I can tell because you are serving God. They're not looking at us and saying, well, you have a lisp and you have whatever. They're saying, I don't know what, but that church is the real deal. Why? Because the Spirit is moving, and we're seeing God move in our church. But we are not to move alone. We are moving together. So I would encourage you. You say, well, I don't know what part of the body I am. That's been the whole point. (laughs) Seek Him. Find out and function. You may have to learn along the way, but... Don't just sit back and settle for status quo because guess what? Status quo is an amputated body. Might as well just be a torso. Cutting ourselves off from the fullness that God has. It's God's will that has placed us where we are, as we are. Yes, there needs to be work done. 
on each of us. God is dealing with us, but our function in the body, in the gifts, is not ours to choose. Yeah, we can seek and earnestly seek, as Paul says, the greater gifts, but no gift is to be devalued or made light of, oh, you, you just have the word of knowledge. You don't have anything else. No. That's the problem there. They were elevating certain gifts to such a point that other ones were suffering. The church of Corinth was either a big eye or a big ear or something. They were probably a big mouth since they like to speak in tongues a lot without interpretation. I know that has other connotations, but but God has placed us here and we shouldn't be afraid to be that member that God has called us to be and to function as He shows us. And then in verse 19, Paul, 19 and 20 and following, he flips the script. He's saying, okay, you, you thought... We, we just dealt with the fact that we're individual members. We need to be individuals in the body. But just in case you decide to go off the cliff of individualism or Lone Rangerism, if you don't know Lone Ranger, but, you know, one that's from my childhood, Walker, Texas Ranger, maybe that'll help you. <laughs> he could defeat an army of a thousand just with a look of an eye, you know. There's lots of jokes going around about him, but uh, I'm very tempted to say one, but uh, it wouldn't be spiritually edifying. So, <laughs> anyways, our role now, we can't just stay on that side and become, you know, Rambos. We're going to go in alone and take everybody down. No. We're called to be together. We're not, we will not defeat the enemy in our lives and in our community if we are separated. And that's what Paul is getting at here when he asks the questions of verse 19. Starting in verse 19, he says, If they were all one member, where would the body be? So if, if we're all doing one eye, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. You see the thesis coming out? If, if this was Paul's um, doctoral thesis, he's, he's got to point two. If you need some writing tips, just read here. Paul's got it. I mean, I think you could get an A on this paper. Maybe not. But you could argue well from this. So now Paul, he says in verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. No. <laughs> I don't need you. I don't need you. I'm, I'm the eye. I'm so much higher than you. I have a way better ability than you. I don't need you. You're just a hand. Who's Paul getting at now? He, he's addressed the people who are like, I'm nothing, so I can't be a part of the body. 
Now he's talking to those who think they're something. And they're saying, well, you just have the word of wisdom. You, you don't really belong in this church. I don't need you. Or, you just have the interpretation of tongues. I, have, I speak in tongues. I don't need interpretation. Which, I mean, I believe was the issue the, the church in Corinth had. Or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Can you imagine your head sending signals to your feet? (laughs) Get lost. I mean, there is nothing more condescending than somebody saying, I don't need you. I don't want you. You're useless. No. We need our feet. This is, this is the point. The body needs the whole, not a part, but the whole. We need each other. So there's a diversity. I mean, there's some feet over here and some hands and, and a torso. And, and there's a head over there. You know, Christ is the head, of course. But somebody here's a neck. Maybe somebody's an earlobe. You know, somebody's a... Eyebrow, you know, some people don't think they need eyebrows and then they start sweating and they're like, oh man, I wish I had eyebrows. <laughs> um, some people don't think men need beards, then they realize it's unmanly. No, no offense to the beardless men here. No. <laughs> That's a choice. Not a good one, but um, <laughs> sorry. Now all the men are like, Ugh, we need to get somebody new up there. <laughs> I think I'm the only bearded one here. Well, got Wesley and Joseph on my side. Maybe we can strong arm them. Anyways, um, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. I can get around without you. No. <laughs> the, head's, the head's not going to enjoy anything without the feet. Any more that the eyes can see things, but they can't touch. We need, we need it all. God didn't create a world that is three-dimensional and say, well, or what is it, five? I don't know. I didn't think through that very well, did I? But God didn't create a world that we could see, touch, smell, hear, so that we could not. In the spiritual sense, we need each and every part, because we're all functioning with one goal God's glory and the victory over the devil. Paul says, on the contrary, if it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So when I worked out, I don't do much now. But when I used to work out, the big weight exercises like uh, squats and ch- uh, bench press, it's not your strong muscles that fail first. Did you know that? The reason you can't lift all that weight is not because your chest muscles aren't strong enough. It's actually because your triceps are too weak if you're doing a bench press. That's why 
if you want to get stronger on a bench press, you need to work out your triceps more. Because right here, you're using your triceps, not your chest. It's not till you start to get up that you are using your, your chest. I know this is only applying to men, so, but, <laughs> no, my wife works out too. Um, and in, in your leg exercises, it's the same issue. It's your core that actually needs to be strong so that you're not wobbling all over and, and other muscles, your calves. It's funny, if you haven't squatted in a while, your, your quads will hurt really bad. But your calves will also hurt because they're weak. When you, when you don't work out your smaller muscles, then the stronger ones can't do all that they're able to do. I think this is a great picture or use that Paul is making here. He's saying, look, yeah, you may think you don't need your pinky. You may think you don't need this part. But you do. You need it desperately. It is necessary. It's not optional. You, you need it. Could you imagine if the foot said, you know what, I'm tired of my ankles making me work. So I'm going to cut those things off. Get rid of them. We'd all be toast. You sprain your ankle, you can't walk. It affects your whole body. Verse 23, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable. This word is way stronger than this. This translation, less honorable, is actually unhonorable. Without honor. What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, you think that that person, that member of the body who is functioning in that gift is without honor? Baloney. He says, on these we bestow more abundant honor, or it can be translated excessive honor. Too much. I mean, just overflowing to the full. The most glorious honor. So, if somebody in this church begins to function in a gift that we have maybe in the past thought of as, oh, that's no big deal. We should be honoring. Praise God. I am so glad that so-and-so is functioning in this way because this means that our church is experiencing God's presence. And that when they begin to function well, then this person is going to function well. And before long, the whole church is moving together as a body and the Spirit is flowing. Amen. The second half of verse 23, in our less presentable members, or actually... If you want to do it, unpresentable. Paul uses the same use, unpresentable or immodest. What is Paul talking about? He's actually talking about sexual organs, most likely. Why? Because it's the thing you cover up the most. And when it's not, we consider that immodest. 
You think, well, I'm a hidden part that no one wants anything to do with because I'm immodest. Whatever that gift is, I don't know, in the church. But what does he say? He says, but become much more presentable. Or it's the same word here that's translated much more is the same word that's translated abundant. It's excessive to the full presentable. Or really we could say overabundantly modest. I mean like a woman in a burqa in Arabic speaking country. Man, that woman is modest. Just don't look in her eyes because it might her eyes might tell you otherwise. Because guess what? Modesty is not in the clothing that you wear. It's in the spirit that you, for the lack of a better word, exude. I can't think of another word that isn't so, uh, that you give off, I guess. But instead of elevating people because of a gift they have, we should be seeing all as, oh, I am so glad that God is opening your eyes to what you should be doing and you're, you're faithfully functioning in that gift. Oh, praise God. Let's give them, I'm not, this is a complete, this is not what I'm saying. Let's give them a platform and start a ministry, you know, for word of knowledge or uh, discernment of spirits. I'm not saying we should. I, I'm saying that's how often what we do. We, we want to take these higher gifts and we begin to elevate a person. Say, oh, this is the ministry of blah, blah, blah. Please, never ever say this is the ministry of Caleb Martin because it isn't. It's a ministry of the Spirit through me. It's a ministry of this church. Whatever God allows me to do here is His ministry, not mine. I couldn't minister one bit to any of you without His presence, without His work. So, He's made them more presentable. Those that we thought were immodest and, and grotesque even. He's made them beautiful and and really a huge part of the church. It says in verse 24, whereas our more presentables have no need of it. Like, those who are already considered presentable because of the gifts that they have, they don't need to be built up. So I would say in the church, it's not hard for people to say, praise God when somebody functions in miracles or healing, right? But when somebody functions in another gift, other than those that we consider the greater gifts, we need to be thanking God and, and glorifying God with them. So I mean, oh, there they go. They're serving the church again. Ugh. No, we need them too. The ones that God uses to perform miracles or speak a prophecy, tongues with interpretation generally, um, healing, 
The sign gifts don't need a lot of accolades. People are naturally in all of that. But when a word of knowledge comes or a word of wisdom, the sermon distinguishing of spirits, those, those gifts need to be encouraged, especially in our day and age. And there are other ones actually at the end of this, this uh, book, this chapter. But God, we're getting back to God. This is, Paul has not left the idea that God is the one who gives the gifts. And that God is the one who chooses whom gives what. It says, but God has so composed the body. Or put together like a symphony. Like an orchestra. If you don't like a good classical orchestra, I don't know what's wrong with you. The one time that Meg and I had a chance to go see Yo-Yo Ma play with the orchestra, he was great. He really was. He was really good. He would have kind of been the head of that party. People can't... I mean, it was sold out. No surprise. But... Though he is a great celloist and maybe one of the best of all time, it was so much more incredible with the whole orchestra. They each had a role. They each were functioning as they were called to do. The composer would say, okay, now your turn. Oh, over here now. Over here. Okay, make sure we're going. And, and you're like, what in the world is he doing? He looks like a madman. Well... I didn't think that, but some someone who doesn't know what a composer does, just be like, what's that guy? Hey, if I took my kids, they would probably be like, what's the guy up there flailing his arms around and getting all excited about? Is he, is he like drunk or something? Or is he on drugs? What, what's he doing? And I would have to say, no, he's actually telling each of them when to play, how fast to play, how, and all this. And, Oh, wow. Well, this is the same idea. God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. That's God's will. And why has He done this, you may ask? Well, He answers that question. Verse 25. So that there will be division in the church. Is that what it says? No, he says, so that there may not be division in the church or in the body. So that's negative, the positive, but that the members may have the same care for one another. This word translated care is also the word like anxious care, like deep care, kind of like a mother for their child. I don't know those of you who are mothers... The first time you leave your child with someone you love to watch while you go on a date with your husband. That kind of care. Or maybe a father when you allow your children to start driving. And you're in the driver's you're in the passenger seat. That anxiety that overwhelms you. <laughs> that kind of care. 
That's what God is talking about here. It's not just, I'm praying for you, and then you never think twice about it the rest of the week. No, it is anxious care, like, I really want them to do well. I, I want to see the Spirit move through them. I want to see God moving in their lives. I want to see their lives glorifying God. That's the kind of care. Not division. Oh, I wish they weren't a part of the body because all they do is drag us down. If my foot would stop getting that ailment, it would be okay. Imagine, I, the, last week I had a toenail that was a little too long and it was cutting into one of my other toes. Well, I just said, oh, that toe, oh, I'm just going to cut it off. It, no more. I don't need it. it. It's just causing problems. Guess what? It would have lasted for a lot longer and there would have been way more issues if I decided to cut my little baby toe off. But isn't that how we do? We see someone who seems to be constantly in a struggle and we're like, why are they in this church? We need to quit on them. Kick them out. No, we should actually be increasing our care for them. Why? Because we want to see the Spirit move through them. They're not here by accident. They're not here because they, they thought, well, I'm going to roll the dice and whatever church you know, falls out. I guarantee you no dice would have fallen on SEA. You're here because God has placed you here and we should be caring for one another. Not just asking, how was your week? And then saying, oh great, see ya. No, we, we should have genuine care for one another and being able to share one another's burdens. That's what a church is about. Why? Verse 26, I think, sums it up. It says, and if, if one member suffers... All the members suffer with it. That's what that care should cause. Your body can't help it, right? Because of the, your nervous system and how that works. You stub your toe, your toe's not the only part that feels it. If you were in the world and you had just become a Christian, you had to be careful that your tongue understood that that was not the time to curse. At the pain that you're feeling throughout your body. Or, like when I burnt my hand. I didn't just say, Ugh, hand, you need to stop it. Stop your whining. No, my hand felt the pain and it sent it all throughout my body. Yeah, I mean, my foot didn't feel it quite as much as other parts, but the pain was still there. When one another suffers, we should be in the trenches with them. Not lording over them, oh, can't you see? That's, they're getting what they deserve. No, we should be seeking to see one another flourish. And when that happens, what does Paul say? If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You're not sitting back, I'm going to grab a stool here, 
because I, I don't think I can really do it very well. Ugh, I can't believe Kendra got so much honor today. Ugh. Sorry, I'm picking on you, Kendra. I can't believe that they got honored and I didn't because I, I did the same thing. No, we're rejoicing. Praise God, I'm so glad that this happened for them. I'm so glad that God, in His Spirit, has chosen to bless that brother or sister with that gift so that our church could grow, be nourished, flourish, and begin to make an impact in our lives and in the world around us. A healthy church will always impact the people that are in our lives. Period. The early church made an impact because the Spirit was in constant movement and flowing. You won't have to tell people, you should come to church with me. They're going to be asking you, where do you go to church? Because I see something in you and I am seeing God's move in your life and you're being able to even minister to me and I want to know where you're at. What God is doing. Not that you should be going to other churches and trying to get members to follow you here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God proving that Christ has done what He said on the cross through miracles and healing and prophecy and tongues with interpretation and words of wisdom, words of knowledge, distinguishing of spirits. All those things functioning together and we will see God began to move. But we have to take a step in faith and realize that, yes, we're individual members who have an individual responsibility before God, but we're one body. We should be caring one for another. It's not just about unity that brings about uniformity. No, it's unity that is diverse and God-glorifying. Because when people walk in the door, they're not going to see a bunch of people dressed alike. They're going to see a bunch of different people and be like, what brought all these people together? Why are they so different? And yet they all seem to be acting as one unit. It's a beautiful melody and harmony. That's what should be. I remember when we went to uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle on their prayer meeting night, and that's what I felt. The harmony, just looking around, you see people, of course, it helps. New York City is, I mean, a cosmopolitan city, so diverse, so many people from, you'll hear in one day more languages than you, most of you would hear in your lifetime just riding the subway. So, that take that into account. But you're looking around, you're seeing people from Asia and Africa and all over the world, Latinos, and all praising God together. Is Brooklyn Tabernacle perfect? No, they aren't. I disagree with some of the things that Pastor Symbola says, but I can guarantee you this, the Spirit's moving there. Because the time I went there, it was evident not just emotionally, but there was a true sense of God's presence there. 
And it wasn't because they had everything together. It was because they were each functioning in their role. 